I, I want to read something to you, and I want to see if you recognize this. Here it is. At the core of what we believe is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The glorious truth that Jesus Christ died and was raised so that sinners would be reconciled to God. The gospel is our primary passion and driving influence in our churches, preaching, worship, small groups, and outreach. Do you recognize that? That's, that's a description of who you are. I read that on your, on your website. I also was affected by what I see in your, your uh, call to order, your order of worship. At the bottom it says, growing as disciples and making disciples. That's even a really a, a shorter sentence that embodies what I just read. And so when I read that about you, when I read this this morning, it told me a lot about you. It told me that you are a church who not only loves Jesus and His gospel, it told me that you are a group of people that believe that God has called you to do some great things for Him and for His glory. And so what I want to do today is I want to talk to you about your life. I want to talk to you about your life as an individual disciple I want to talk to you about your life as a church family and that, that life shared in our family of churches in Sovereign Grace. I want to talk to you about what you're, you're building here, the gospel culture that you're building so that as you look into the future, as we look together into the future as a family of churches, we would, we would have faith and we would have vision that God has called us to do some radical things for Jesus Christ. You know this. You don't have to know a lot of things to do some world-changing things for Jesus. But you have to know one thing, and you have to know it well. And you have to be willing to give your life to it and sacrifice for it. And as you know, because you're well taught here, that one thing is the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. But what I want to do today is I want to show you from Colossians chapter 1, I want to show you from this text that this gospel has an inherent power. And then if you and I, if we, will, if we will harness our faith to it, you as a disciple and you as a local church and we as a family of churches, we will do some world-changing things for Jesus Christ, all for the glory of His great name. See, what we're going to see from this passage is, is essentially this, in this sentence, the power of the gospel produces growth. The power of of the gospel produces growth. And I was praying for you over the last couple of days. I was praying for our time again this morning. And one of my prayers is that this passage in particular would stir you. It would, it would build your faith so that as we think about the future together, you would believe that the power of the gospel is going to produce growth. And by the way, if, if you're new here, I'm going to use this word gospel several times. And I want you to understand what we mean by this word gospel. This is the gospel. We believe that God the Father sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, into this world, this dark world as the light of the world. And Jesus Christ as the Son of God. He, he lived the perfect life. And He died the perfect death on the cross in our place receiving the punishment we deserve for our sins, making atonement for sins. He, he died. And on the third day, He rose again. And then He ascended into heaven where He rules and He reigns forevermore. And there will be a day when He returns to judge the living and the dead. That's the gospel. 
And there's a response to the gospel. Those who, who turn from their sin as the, the Spirit regenerates their hearts, as they, as they are convicted of sin and turn from their sin and place their faith alone in the finished work of Jesus Christ, it is those people who would spend eternity with Jesus. So that's the gospel and a response to the gospel. So that's what I mean when I use the word gospel today. The title of my message is Gospel Growth. And we're going to begin reading in Colossians 1, verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to echo the, the prayers I prayed earlier today for all of us. Would you fill us with your Holy Spirit? And may there be spiritual activity where the Spirit brings the Word of God to life, not only in our minds, but in our hearts. And I pray that one of the works that would be done is that you would stir faith that you would increase our vision for what you have called this church to do, Grace Church, what you have called us as a family of churches to do, believing that as we proclaim this gospel, it will bear fruit and grow. And so I pray for Grace Church that they will, with that kind of faith and with that kind of vision, reach out to Montgomery County, and the D.C. area, and, and all over the world. And use this church to bear good gospel fruit. And as they do that, may, may Jesus Christ receive all the glory. Stir us that way today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. For those of you that uh, don't know me, I'm, I'm married to Jill. Jill and I have been married for, for 35 years. And I so much wish she, that, wish she were with me because she really does me, make me look a lot better than what I really am. She does. Um, in fact, when I, when I travel to churches and I don't bring her back with me, uh, they don't even say hello to me. They, they, just, they say, where's Jill? And then they kind of walk past me if, if Jill's not, not with me. So Jill and I, we, we have three uh, married daughters. Uh, I think I got this right. 34, 32, 28. And we have eight grandchildren. And by the way, those eight grandchildren are all five and under. So when we're together, it's, it's bedlam, man. It is chaos. It's, it's a blast, but it's chaos. Um, and then we send them home, actually. <laughs> this is a great part of grandparenting. Now, so I tell, you about my, I tell you about my family because when our girls were younger, we, we did something in our home that maybe you've done or maybe do in raising your children. Every so often, we would gather our girls and we would back them up against a door frame in our house. And we would mark their height. And we would put their initials and, their, and the date. And then every few months or so, we would back them up against that door frame again. And we'd mark their height again and their, their initials and the date. 
We did that because as parents, we didn't in each and every day see their physical growth. But when we backed them up against that door frame and saw those markers, we realized that our girls were growing. Now, I tell you that story because Paul begins this letter talking about growth. In fact, what he does is he points out specific markers of growth, like the markers on the doorframe in our home. He points out specific markers of the growth that he hears about in the Colossians' lives as proof that the gospel is powerful and bearing fruit and growing. The question is why? Why does Paul begin this letter talking about growth? Well, Paul, as you know, he, he writes this letter from his prison cell in Rome. And Epaphras, we're introduced to here, I believe it's in verse 7. Epaphras is the man who planted the church in Colossae and probably other churches in the Lycus Valley. And so he was facing some issues in the church there at Colossae. And so he makes a, a trip to Rome because he needs Paul's apostolic wisdom and apostolic help. And so Paul listens to Epaphras and hears some things that need to be addressed. So he writes this letter. And one of the things that he's doing in writing this letter is he's addressing false teachers that are unsettling the, um, the believers there in Colossae. And essentially what these false teachers are teaching is that there's something more you must have or there's something more that you must do beyond the gospel itself. We know that from, from reading the letter. So, they, so the false teachers were saying there's this, there's this greater knowledge that you need to have beyond the gospel to be sort of complete as a Christian. You see that in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, where he's warning against that. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. He's saying you don't need that. He's warning against this bogus philosophy. And there's false teachers there that are also saying there's these things you need to do to add to the gospel. You see that in Colossians 2, verses 16 through 18, where he says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in, in questions of food and drink, or with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. Those are things that they were saying you need to do or not do. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Now listen to verse 18. Let no one disqualify you or disqualify you from the gospel. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. So he's addressing these false teachers who are saying you've got to have this, this philosophy or you've got, to, you've got to abstain from these certain things to, to really be a Christian. And in that sense, what these false teachers are doing is they are shrinking the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we live in a culture that does the, much the same thing today. It's not much different. We live in a culture that, that offers us knowledge and hope for advancement an opportunity, and those things aren't wrong, but if we believe there's an inherent power to those things, then that's wrong. If we place our hope in those things, that's wrong. And so we live in a culture that offers us those things and in that sense can shrink the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And so this letter is appropriate for us today as well because what Paul does is he comes running into the middle of this confusion that these false teachers are creating and he firmly makes his stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ alone. And here's what he does. He says to the Colossians, I want to prove to you that these false teachers are wrong. And the proof is found in this. You only need the gospel and proof that you only need the gospel is is in the power it has because this gospel will bear fruit and grow in your life. Chapter 1, verse 6. See, for the believer, for the Christian, there is nothing greater than the gospel of Jesus Christ. It has an inherent power that will bear fruit and grow, grow in us as disciples qualitatively in godliness and Christ likeness, and it will grow quantitatively, reaching more and more people. See, the, the power of the gospel, it does produce growth. That's how Paul counters the false teachers. Now, like our kids, we may not see our growth each and every day. So how do you know as an individual disciple? How do you know Grace Church? How does Sovereign Grace as a family of churches, how do we know if we are growing in the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's the question I I really want to answer. Because this text gives us three markers of gospel growth. Three markers of gospel growth. Here's the first one. Number one, gospel growth is seen in us. It's seen in us as individual disciples. Now Paul is in his prison cell in Rome. Epaphras makes his way there. And he reports what's happening in Colossae. And we know that he not only thanks God in his prayer, where he begins that prayer, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. He not only thanks God, he is excited because as he listens to Epaphras' report, he hears specific markers, specific evidences that the gospel is bearing fruit and growing in Christians' lives there in Colossae. Did you see those in verses 3 through 5? Read those, read those verses with me again. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith, there's the first one, there's the first evidence. Since we hear of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love, there's the second evidence, and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope, there's a a third evidence, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. In other words, when he hears this report, Epaphras is rejoicing because he's saying to the Colossians, do you see the presence of faith and love and hope that wasn't in your life before the gospel and that is there now? Do you see in your life how the faith and love and hope is growing in your life because the gospel is bearing fruit and growing in your life as well? This this triad of virtues, by the way, faith and love and hope, They are used repetitively in the New Testament over and over again as markers of Christian maturity, aren't they? So if you want to know if you're growing as a Christian, is there the presence of faith in a growing way? Is the presence of love for God and love for others in a growing way? Do you have even more hope? Are you more secure in your hope even as you walk through trials that, that you have eternal life in Christ? See, if that's present in your life, the gospel is bearing fruit and and growing. In other words, once God regenerates our hearts, 
Once His Spirit fills us and He saves us, there's this gospel that has this unstoppable power and it will bear fruit and grow in our lives. Now, we will, we will fall and we will fail and we will sin and we will make mistakes. But He who began a good work in us, He will what? He will carry it on to completion. Why is that? Because the power of the gospel, it produces growth. We don't need anything more than the the gospel itself. So here's what I want you to do. I want you sometime this week just to take 15 minutes and get alone with God. And I want you to think about the last 6 to 12 months of your life. And I want you to reflect on it. And I want you to reflect on how the gospel's grown you. Maybe your faith is deeper. Maybe you love God more. You love the people of God more. Maybe maybe your hope is more secure than it was a year ago. Think about those things. And at first it may land on you like, is that okay to do? It may sound like I'm sort of boasting. Look how much I've grown. But I think if you do that, you'll be humbled. And it'll be turned into a worship event because the growth that we see in our lives, we fully can't take credit for. It's, it's the gospel bearing fruit and growing and you give God glory for that. Amen? So there's gospel growth seen in us. Here's the second marker of gospel growth. Gospel growth is seen among us. It's seen among us. We get, we get that from the second half of verse 5 and verse 6. So read that with me. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you. As indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and growing as it also does where? Among you. Among you. Gospel growth is seen among us. See, what would have happened at that time when this letter was written, Paul would have finished it. And most likely, Epaphras Epaphras was the man who delivered it back to Colossae. And what would have happened in that time is the entire church would have been gathered, just like we're gathered here this morning. And the letter, probably read by Epaphras, the letter would have been read out loud from beginning to end. That's what would have happened. Often wonder what it would have been like to be there on that day. Word gets around Colossae that Epaphras is back from his visit with Paul. And so there's a a church meeting called. And Epaphras, he he steps to the front of the church and he begins reading this letter. And he reads through it. He's talking about how the gospel is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you. Often often wonder would Epaphras would have stopped there? Would Would he have looked around the room at individuals and and just thought, oh, the, the gospel is growing here among us in this church. I wonder if the, the church members would have paused for a moment as well and looked around at one another and thought, oh yeah, uh, Larry and Stephanie, they, they've grown. They've changed. Look how Kathy's walking through her trial, deep in her faith. It would have been a wonderful morning, I think. And I think it provides for us just an example that we should follow at times. And so I want to give you an assignment. Now, I have no authority to do this, but it doesn't stop me from doing it anyway, all right? I want to give you an assignment. You have small groups here, right? Do you call them something? Care groups? Okay. We call them all kinds of things in different churches, so I never know what to call them. 
There's still home groups being used, by the way. Care groups, community groups. There's one other one I can't remember. I heard one the other day. Anyway, anyway, so you, you have care groups. So if you're a care group leader, sometime over the next few months, I want you to take a care group meeting and I want you to dedicate it to this. And so email all the people in your care group a couple of weeks before the meeting or maybe even a week before the meeting and say, next week, I want you to come to the care group meeting and I want you to share evidences of gospel growth that you see in the other members of the care group. And then take an evening and just do that. We did this a couple of years ago at Covenant Fellowship. And the report that we got back from our community, we call them community groups now, although I still call them care groups. The report we got back from our community group leaders was wonderful. It said people came with, with lists. It was easy for them to see how the gospel was bearing fruit and growing in other people. And we just took an evening and we just encouraged one another that way. And most of them said we just couldn't end the meeting by just sharing where the gospel is changing us. We had to worship. Because after we heard that collective report about how the gospel was growing us, we wanted to give glory to God. And it was just a wonderful evening. So do that as a church. Do that in your care groups and celebrate how the gospel is bearing fruit and growing in your life. Now, what's clear from this text, especially from the the original language, is that Paul is not just talking about growth and in Christ's likeness or that qualitative growth. It's also clear he's talking about quantitative growth where the gospel is going forward and reaching more and more people. In fact, Peter T. O'Brien in his commentary says, fruit bearing and increasing were marks of the gospel. And you're beginning to see that now. Two couples added this morning. That's, That's the gospel bearing fruit and growing. As you reach out on December 21st, I want you to have faith that you're going to reach unbelievers and they're going to be changed. When you do the pies for the school, you may you may you may touch a teacher's heart that may end up coming and hearing the gospel preached. Now, I'm so glad, personally, I'm so glad that verse, chapter 1, verse 6 is in my Bible. Let me tell you why. When it comes to evangelism, I'm just not very good. So I invite people to church. No one ever comes. I share the gospel with people. It seems like they, they fall asleep and don't get saved. And if, if you can relate to that, if you're, if you're not good at it like I'm not good at it, you can lose heart. And then you can stop inviting. And then you can stop sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when I read verse 6 that says it's the gospel that bears fruit and grows, it stirs my faith. William Hendrickson says it this way. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul is placing all the emphasis upon the fact that by God's power and grace... It is the gospel itself that is thus bearing fruit and growing. Now listen to this. The gospel never depends on man. That's good news. Doesn't that unburden you? The gospel never depends on man, not even on Paul. It is God's work in which he pleases, is pleased to use man. So all we've got to do is be faithful to share the gospel. It is God who bears fruit and grows the gospel among us because the power of the gospel produces growth. So we see evidences of gospel growth in us. We see that among us, but it's not just a local phenomenon. There's a third marker of gospel growth. Number three, gospel growth is seen beyond us. Gospel growth is seen 
beyond us. I think you saw it there with me in verses 5 and 6, but I want to read it again just to make sure you, you see it. So, second half of verse 5. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed where in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing. The whole world. Now, keep in mind context. What's he doing? Paul is addressing these false teachers. These false teachers who are unsettling the believers, telling them that there's something more that they need to have or do beyond the gospel itself. And so he comes to the Colossians and he says to them, they're wrong. And I want to give you proof that they're wrong. The gospel growth that you see in you, where faith, hope, and love are growing, the gospel growth that you see among you as a local church, that is happening all over the world. And he shows them that the power of the gospel produces growth, not only locally, but extra-locally as well. And when he uses this language all over the world, it reminds us of what Christ has called us to do in bearing gospel fruit. That we share locally, you share here in Montgomery County, we, I share in, in Chester and Delaware County, but we're also to go into the, all the world. In fact, I think you're going to be going to where? South Korea soon, sometime in the next year. Thank you for doing that, by the way. Because you're honoring what Jesus says in Mark chapter 16, verse, six, verse 15. He says, go, where? go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. And if you study Paul's letters, he was a man who was intentional to tell local churches about what was happening all over the world because when they heard it, it encouraged them in their local outreach. And my guess is he told other churches about what was happening in Colossae and Elicus Valley because it would encourage those churches in their local and their locales with, regarding their outreach as well. I mean, what's clear in the New Testament is that local churches were not these isolated entities, but they were connected to one another. They were interdependent upon one another in terms of relationship and, and shared mission, which is one of the reasons I love being a part of Sovereign Grace. Because we're interdependent upon one another. We have shared relationship. We have shared mission that we do together. And we can encourage one another with the mission that we share. So one of the things that Larry asked me to do is to, in this point is to just give you an update on some of the things that are happening in our church plants across Sovereign Grace to encourage you in your local and extra local outreach here. But let me, let me begin the, the update with, with this. Have you, have you ever noticed that you don't get to choose when in history you get to live? You don't get to choose that, do you? God chooses that for you. I believe that we are living in one of the best times in redemptive history. Let me, let me give you a couple of reasons why. First it's this. You're tracking the, the social issues in our country and really around the world, aren't you? And our world is, is rapidly changing. I mean, just take the issue of same-sex marriage, for example, and the way that's trending here in the States and outside of the United States. More and more, what we're coming to realize as believers is that we're, we're living in a post-Christian world, aren't we? Now, that could discourage you. It could strike fear in you. I believe it's a great time to be alive as a believer. Because I believe our gospel light is going to shine even brighter as the world grows darker. 
And as you are faithful here to proclaim the gospel and preach the gospel and reach out to the gospel, that light is going to shine brighter and brighter. And so believe that and, 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 and enjoy this wonderful opportunity that we have. Here's the second reason why I think it's a, a great time to be alive in redemptive history. Church planting is enjoying this resurgence, not only in the United States, but all, all over the world. You're seeing it. You're seeing it with, um, with other gospel-centered organizations. Acts 29 and the Southern Baptists through the North American Mission Board and, and what Tim Keller's doing with Redeemer in, in New York City. Gospel-centered organizations, gospel-centered denominations that are reaching out with the gospel of Jesus Christ and planting gospel-centered churches. And Sovereign Grace, we as a family of churches, we're only playing a small part. We're, we're doing that as well. It's what we're called to do. And by the way, we're not doing that because it's now the thing to do. That's always been a part of our DNA because we've been led so well in the past. Church planning has always been a part of our culture and it's going to continue to remain a part of our culture so that we can re- reach the gospel, reach the lost with the gospel. So let me, let, me, let, let me just give you some updates. It's a great time to be alive. That's sort of my point. Um, as you know, the last couple of years, they've been hard years, right? But in the midst of them, we have planted or replanted nine churches. So in any given two-year period history, that's the most churches we've planted or replanted in any other time in our history, which I think is amazing. Our weakest moment, God's power is made perfect in our weakness. It's proof that the gospel will bear fruit and grow. It doesn't stop because we're walking through some issues. It moves forward. We've got to harness our faith to that. And so I want to tell you about some of those church plants. Um, by the way, when, when I travel... And I've given this message before. I tell our other churches about Grace Church. I tell them about this church plan and what you're doing here in Montgomery County. So thank you that I can share that. And it encourages our, our other uh, churches. It, it really does. Uh, as you know, we planted Christ Community. You may know we planted Christ Community Church in Covington, Louisiana. So that church was sent from Lakeview Christian Center, our church in New Orleans, and Jeff Earhart and a church planting team. They planted this church about a year and a half ago, maybe, maybe two years ago, certainly a year and a half ago. And Jeff was sent me an email at the beginning of this year telling me about how that church plan has led to people being converted and coming to Christ. So I want to tell you a story about one of those conversions. He said, our most recent conversion occurred last Thursday. The men of the church met at church to discuss our study, The Godly Man's Picture. That's by Thomas Watson. If you haven't read that book, read it. It's a great book. He said, 10 minutes into the, into the discussion on forgiveness, so note that the topic is forgiveness, Brad interrupted me. Now, Brad had come to church the previous two Sundays, so he's new, with his family as a result of an outreach in the community about two miles from the church. Jeff said he was sitting right next to me and he stopped the discussion and he asked for prayer. And this is what he asked for. He said, I, I hate my father. I am angry at my father and I realize as we talk about this today that I have not forgiven him. And then he said this, I realized that if I were to die in an auto accident on the way home, I would go to hell. That's what he said. So the men obviously stopped and they prayed for him. And then they shared the gospel with him. And he responded to the gospel and asked to receive Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. 
If we planted that church for that one man, it's worth it. It's worth it. We planted, um, as you know, Redeeming Grace Church in Nashville, Tennessee. Dave Odom was, was sent from, uh, Bill Kittrell was here last week from Bill Kittrell's church in Knoxville to plant in Nashville. In fact, Jill and I were there that Sunday morning when they were sent out. There were 49 adults standing up on the stage and about 49 million kids all on this church. Oh yeah, like it's on this church planning team. And so they go to Nashville and they started a year ago. We were there uh, the Sunday before the pastor's conference. I came in early and celebrated their one year anniversary with them as a local church. Now get this, the following Sunday, they were going to baptize a young 19 year old man by the name of Hunter, who's probably their first conversion. And this man has radically come to Christ and being baptized into the family of God. So if it was for Hunter that we planted that church, it was worth it. We planted um, Grace Bible Church in Wissanoming, uh, which is in the northeast, a, a section of northeast Philadelphia. So Dan Burkholz, he, he shared the pastor's conference. He was sent from Ian McConnell's church, who was with me in the church planning interest meeting. He was sent from Ian's church to plant another section of northeast Philadelphia. So northeast Philadelphia is, is kind of like this. It's, it's row home after row home after row home. It's pretty much a blue-collar neighborhood, and it's typical blue-collar, well, it's typical Philadelphia, where they will just get in your face and tell you, what, tell you the way it is, and if you don't like it, that's, that's your problem. That's the way, I, I love the northeast in that regard, because you know where you stand, and you know what they think. So he, he's going to plant in the Wissanoming section of northeast Philadelphia, and there's a church there that has a church building, and this church is dying. It's down to about 20 members. And so they hear about what Dan's doing and they go to Dan and they say to Dan, we want to give you our church building. Yeah, that's what every church planner wants to hear, right? Wow. And, and we hadn't approved him as a church planner yet. So I'm watching him. I'm like, dude, if you turn this damn failed as a church planner, we're not, we're not approving you as a church planner. But he, he did, he did uh, accept the building. And uh, this is another example of, uh, of Sovereign Grace family there was at least four other Sovereign Grace churches who sent teams in to get this church ready. It's about, I was there in January in this church. It's about a 90 to 95-year-old building. And so it, it, it had been let go a little bit. And so it needed work. And the, the churches, the, the auditorium, the, the sanctuary is wonderful now. And now, the, what's the, why I'm telling this story is because now they have a, a real presence in that community. It's urban. It's tightly. A lot of people in a small section. They have a gospel presence now. And Dan shared at the pastor's conference, they did, did an outreach the day before Easter of this year and 500 people from the community came and were part of that outreach. And he was telling the story of one woman, which I won't tell, who was, who was saved by the gospel and now sits there on a Sunday morning. Let me just tell you this. And gets out her Bible and says, break it, break it down for us, Dan. That's what she <laughs> says to him. It's a great story. Uh, we've, we planned a Redemption Hill Church in Austin, Texas. John Payne is planning uh, that church. We've uh, planted Emmaus Road Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Do you, do you know where uh, South Dakota is, by the way? <laughs> you do? Okay, because in Philadelphia, when I say this, people don't know we have a South Dakota in the United States, so it's kind of odd. So I'm glad you know we have a South Dakota in, in the United States. So Greg Durenberger was sent from the church in Minneapolis, uh, Rick Amash's church, to plant Emmaus Road Church. It's a great name. I love the name, Emmaus Road Church. And, and he sent me an email just a couple of months ago. Is it, it was right after Labor Day. And he said this. He said, um, uh, oops, wrong one. This one. He said, um, 
Yeah, this, no, this is Dan. I got too many stories up here. All right, it's this one. He said, summer is over and we're tired. That's what he said. He said, rather than the expected and typical upper Midwest summer exodus, where people sort of leave and go to the lake for the summer, um, where attendance drops, he said, the opposite occurred. Our attendance grew throughout the summer. We also anticipated that we would lose our college age age population, uh, but rather the opposite uh, occurred as well. More college students came, and a couple of college students decided to change their schools from out-of-state schools to to go to school in Sioux Falls so they can be a part of that local church. He said that, that they started the summer with nine children in their Sunday kids' ministry, and by the end of the summer, they had 30 children in their summer. Yeah. That creates an issue, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, a great, it's a great issue to have. He said that for the past several weeks, we've had attendance highs, including the, the influx of at least five new families, and we hit our highest attendance this past Sunday on Labor Day. So you can just see how the gospel is bearing fruit and growing there in Sioux Falls. Uh, we're planning a church, uh, we're replanting a church. You guys would know Arnold, Maryland. And you know Ed O'Mara is replanting that church. That, that, that replant is going very, very well. Uh, two more church plants I'll tell you about real quick. In Philadelphia, um, we sent out Andrew Cavillage from Covenant Fellowship uh, with about 30 uh, people to plant in West Philadelphia. Now, West Philadelphia is different than Northeast Philadelphia. Um, there's row home after row home, but it's a rough place. It is drug-infested, crime-infested. Uh, every night on the news, there's, there's shootings in Philadelphia. And West Philadelphia is one of those places where it happens often. And, and by the way, Andrew's from Wisconsin. I, I'm thinking, I'm, like, before he goes, I'm like, dude, are you sure? I mean, you're from Wisconsin. His wife's from Indiana. And you're going to West Philadelphia. But he had faith. And that church is being planted and it's growing right there in West Philadelphia where they're meeting on Sunday mornings. And then we're also planning a church in South Philadelphia. Jeff Betcher is being sent from his dad's church, Warren Betcher, in, in uh, Cherry Hill or Marlton, New Jersey, to plant in South Philadelphia. Now, South Philadelphia is a little bit different. How many of you have seen Rocky, the movie Rocky? You know, he's run through the Italian market. You know, it's, yo, Adrian, you know, all of that. That's South Philadelphia. And so Jeff has um, got a team of about 40 people who are actually moving into Philadelphia, which is no small thing because probably like D.C., there's, there's reurbanization that's occurring there. And so housing prices are actually going up. Um, and so people are making wonderful sacrifices to plant this church. So, so Jeff, like Dan, he's looking for a, a meeting place they can have. And he sees this vacant building right in the area where they want to be. He's hoping for a Dan story, but it's not a Dan story in that regard. So they just thought, well, if we could have that building and we could have that 24-7, we would put a community center in there and get the community in and serve the community. We would put a coffee shop in there just for people to hang out. And then we would meet there on Sunday morning. So they find out who the landlord is and they go to the landlord and they they pitch this vision to him of what they want to do. Well, the landlord who lives in South Philadelphia gets so excited about this that he gives $25,000 of his own money to make the deal happen. I don't know if he's a believer or not, but he's talking with his money in that, in that regard. He's, he's really excited about what's going on. So they're, they're, they had to rework the building a little bit, and now they're meeting there on Sunday mornings. He just told me that they did an outreach to the community where they, they, they said, we're going to serve the community. We're going to do a trash pickup day which is needed in Philadelphia, Trash Pickup Day. And so a hundred people from that community joined this church planning team to clean up their community. It's a wonderful way for them to make a presence there now 
Now they've got this building. Again, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful gospel presence. Um, church plants that we're, we're praying about, thinking about, that will happen hopefully in the next year or so. Uh, Sean Wu will probably plant right in the city of Boston, be sent from Paul Buckley's church. Uh, who's up in the northeast side of, of, of Boston. And then Jacob Young may plant in Manchester, New Hampshire, which is just north of where, uh, where Paul is at. And let me, let me just say this. We, we've, been, um, we've had this growing interest of churches that now want to be adopted into Sovereign Grace. Uh, our regional leaders have been telling us that in the last months there's, there's been more interest of people, of churches saying we want to be a part of Sovereign Grace. And so we're saying to them, um, are you aware of what's happened the last couple of years, you know? And they're saying, yeah, we are. And we've watched how you walk through it. And we've watched how you've responded. And we've, a- we've actually watched how you've honored the Lord in it. And that's why we want to be in Sovereign Grace. And so we've adopted three churches recently in the last year. Um, Buffalo, New York. Um, Hastings, Nebraska. Those two guys shared testimonies at the, at the pastor's conference. And a, 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 a church in LaGrange, Georgia. They named their church Sovereign Grace Church. I think it was manipulative to try to find a way to get into Sovereign Grace, but I'm so glad, so glad for that. So other, other cities that are showing interest uh, of, to have churches, Winston-Salem, North Carolina, Egg Harbor Township, New Jersey, which may sound like it's a small beach town, but that, that church is about 600 people. Uh, Winona Lake, Indiana, sounds small town, but that's, that church is about 700 people. Um, Phoenix, Arizona, Yuma, Arizona. This guy came to the conference and followed up and said, I, I, I really like that. <laughs> I really like Sovereign Grace. Uh, Belleville, Illinois, which is a suburb of St. Louis, Columbus, Ohio. And then get this, uh, a church in Galway, Ireland wants to be adopted. Ray Clancy actually came to the pastor's conference because he just wanted to say, I, I want to be a part of, of Sovereign Grace. Um, so, you know, we, we've heard a lot where people don't like Sovereign Grace and all that the last couple of years. There's people that want to be in. And we're just moving forward in gospel mission. And you know what? The gospel is going to bear fruit and grow. And we're going to give Christ much, much glory. So you're saying, okay, Mark, why are you telling me all of this? Or why are you getting all lathered up about this? You might be thinking that. Let me, let me just tell you why I'm telling you all of this. Two reasons. First, you must be as a disciple and you must be as a church family. And we must be as a family of churches. We must be a people who believe in the power of the gospel. We must believe in the power of the gospel. We must believe that it will bear fruit and grow as we apply it to our lives and as we share it with people who don't know Christ. We've got to remember what we have and what we hold in our hands with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Terry Virgo says it this way, It is of no small thing to be the world's only light to be the fulfillment of centuries of ancient prophetic promises, to be heralding the day of the Lord, to hold the message of history in your hands. Do you realize that? You and I, we hold the message of history in our hands. And to be the world's one and only answer. It is our indescribable privilege to be caught up by the Holy Spirit in the greatest movement in history. The proclaim of Christ to every tribe and people and nation. Let us believe in the power of the gospel. Amen? Amen. That's the first reason I'm telling you this. Here's the second reason I'm telling you this. We as a family of churches, we believe this. We believe that local churches plant other local churches. That's what we believe. And our experience has taught us is that strong local churches 
plant other strong local churches. That's what we've learned. And so if that's true, every one of us has a role. And if your faith has been stirred, you might, you might be saying, okay, what is it that I do? Here's what I would say. Do what Epaphras did. Go back to verse 7. Just as you heard it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So what do you do? You be a faithful minister of Christ. That's what you do. And you lay that into mission. We've got to make sure that we don't define mission too narrowly. Mission isn't only in the going. It is in the going, and it's wonderful, but it's not only in the going. Mission is also in the staying as well. Because when you stay, and if you stay here in Grace Church for the rest of your life, and you are a faithful minister of Christ, you're providing and you're building a strong local church that will plant other strong local churches. And so, don't miss what may seem to be ordinary are really extraordinary things in God's eyes. So when you come here each Sunday morning prepared to worship, when you attend your care group sharing life with other believers, that's not an ordinary thing. When your faithfulness is expressed through service in the way you serve this church or in your generous giving to this church or in your consistent outreach and evangelism or in the prayer meeting that you're going to have on December 4th, those are not ordinary things. Those are extraordinary things in the sight of God because you are being a faithful minister of Christ. And in being a faithful minister of Christ, you are building a strong local church and this strong local church will plant other strong local churches. That's why I'm telling this. So, so pray and be faithful. Be a faithful minister of Christ. Now let me just end with this. I, I've found that as I get older, as I sit down and I do my devotions, there are certain verses that spring off the page and they, they mean something different to me. And so if, you, if, I, if I showed you my journal, you would see in the very back page of my journal, uh, written across the top, verses that I want to shape the rest of my life. And I write those verses down. And Jill and I, we talk about those verses, and we pray about those verses, and we pray that God would give us grace to live those verses out. And I want to share with you one of those verses that is very, very meaningful to me. Acts chapter 20. We're going to put up on the screen here in a moment. Acts Chapter 20, verse 24. Now the context is that Paul is, is on his way to Jerusalem and he makes this stop, as you know, in, in Miletus. And there in Miletus, he calls the Ephesian elders to join him. And he knows he's going to see them for the last time. We know that from Acts chapter 20, verse 22. He says, And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except, except this, that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Verse 23. He knows in gospel ministry and in gospel mission, he knows this, that prison, prison and afflictions await him. And so having this last conversation with the Ephesian elders, he then looks them in the eye and then he says this in verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value. 
nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I pray for grace. Jill and I pray for grace that we would not account our life of any value. Nor as precious to ourselves if only we may finish this course to testify to the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'll leave that verse with you. And I I would ask that you would pray to be a church like that. Even in your prayer meeting coming up, pray that you would be a church that doesn't account its life of any value is nor as precious to itself but continue in gospel ministry and when you pray would you pray for sovereign grace that way would you pray that we would be a family of churches who are filled with people who don't account our lives of any value or as precious to ourselves? that we together brothers and sisters we would continue to testify to the grace of god in the gospel of jesus christ would, would you join us in that Let's pray. Lord, I just pray that for myself. I pray that for Grace Church. I pray that for our family of churches. Would you help us to be a people who don't account our lives of any value, but that we would live for Christ and that we would harness our faith to His gospel, believing it will bear fruit and grow. And may we, as a family of churches, and may this church, Grace Church, may this, may this church reach the lost with the gospel. May they do radical things for Christ. And we pray that you would do all of that for your glory and for your fame and for your, your, your worship, Lord. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.